All right, grab your Bibles, hold them up. This is my Bible, God's Holy Word. I can be what it wants me to be. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will not leave the same. All right, Galatians chapter number three. We're going to start chapter number three. Have you noticed that we're starting to move a little more quickly? I'm, I was down with JJ on Friday. And uh, we're about halfway through it. So the uh, Galatians chapter number three. We're going to read the entire chapter. I'm not expecting to get through the entire chapter, but I don't really know where to stop because it's one fluid thought. So I'm not saying we're going to, I'm preaching the entire chapter today, but I don't know where we're going to stop. We're going to stop when it's a good stopping spot. <laughs> Salvation is a free gift from God just because. Just because. Uh, I think that's the overwhelming thought that we'll see here. In Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you, receive ye the spirit of the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye sufficient... Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are of the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeth that God would justify the heathen through faith, Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with, with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith but that the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet... If it be confirmed, no man dissimuleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to the seed which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was four hundred and thirty years after, cannot be dissimuleth, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Wherefore, 
Then serveth the law. It is added because of the transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But therefore faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up with the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we no longer under the schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're just thankful again that you allowed us to come and gather and worship, Lord. Just pray that you'd be honored, glorified that you'd meet with us this morning as we uh, look at this uh, chapter number three of Galatians, Lord. I ask you all these things, your name. Amen. This is one of those sermons that I just had a hard time with. Thinking to myself, okay, God, why do you want me to address it this way and some of the things that are addressed? But I don't know. <laughs> the very first phrase of chapter number three, it says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Uh, how many of you have ever, ever at least heard of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Uh, that's, just so you know, that, that phrase goes against everything that that book says. Uh, you don't walk in and start the conversation calling somebody a fool. You know, that's what Paul did. And we're going to hopefully see and understand that in a little bit. I made the statement that the gospel takes us lower than we ever admit that we, that we are. It takes us higher than we could ever dream of. But it takes us lower. Our pride is our opinion. Our pride comes, at least comes from our opinion. In Sunday school, I was talking about how I was a little bit nervous about this. And, and, but chapter number four is right around the corner. We should be there in a couple of weeks. And then especially chapter number five. I'm hoping that a lot of these things that I've, I was, you're going to be caused to think this morning. And you're going to be like, okay, uh, pastor, you're, you're saying some things, you're doing some things that I don't understand. Just bear with me. I'm hoping that, especially chapter, like I said, chapter number four is right on the corner. Chapter number five is coming. Uh, because well, as I was preparing, I was reading chapter number five this week. And all of these things, I'm like, okay, God, why do you have me saying this that we see in chapter number three? Uh, didn't even really, a lot of them make sense to me. Uh, but as I got into chapter number five, I began to understand, okay, these things fit together. So like I say, please... Be patient. Christianity is a relationship. 
I was think again. I was thinking this with the things that are are going on with the virus and and all of that. It's and I depending on what area of the country you're in and what your leaders said. Obviously, we all we have to all have to answer to God. So I'm not complaining or throwing anybody under the bus. But I was thinking about this. It's it's easy for the vast majority of churches to decide to cancel church because it's a religion. It's something that you do, and, and it's not physically safe uh, for many people to come. And again, we all have to have wisdom in that. I understand. I'm not knocking anybody, but it, it, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, we're just not going to do it. Because it's, it's an activity. We're supposed to cease from a lot of social activities right now. But when it becomes a relationship, it becomes much harder. And I am thankful that I'm not in a different area of the country where it's more widespread than it is here. Because I don't know, I really probably would have a hard time canceling church. Again, I'm all for using wisdom. You know that we've taken steps to do our best to... But that's because it's a relationship. And when you're in a relationship, you want to be with that person. It drives Kendra batty, but I tell her this all the time. The more I have her, the more I want her. Um, I, don't, I don't like being separated from my wife. I don't like being separated from my kids. Why? Because they're my family. They're my relationship. Christianity is a relationship. It's not rules. And because, listen to this, listen, this is, this is where people... If you don't fully understand what Paul is trying to say, what he's trying to convey, we, we've talked about it for weeks, that okay, if we're not under the law, we're under liberty, we can do whatever we want. But because we have a relationship, right conduct flows. See, these people that, that think that, well, I, I can do whatever I want. I found grace. I found liberty. I found freedom. I'm not saying they're not saved. But what I am saying is they haven't gotten a relationship with God. Because it's out of the relationship that right conduct flows. But every relationship is different. My relationship is with my wife is different than your relationship with your wife. Probably the most glaring example and illustration uh, that I can use is, is, is that me and Kendra have very very different relationships with our respective fathers. Both of my parents, both me and my dad are very loud and boisterous and we're just going to do what we're going to do type of, that's, I mean, that's our personality. Uh, and so whenever we don't see eye to eye on things, uh, Kendra has been there and I mean, we're, our voices are getting louder and louder and we're getting very animated and, and to the outside world, it would look like we are angry and that I am being disrespectful to my father. Uh, but that's just the relationship that I have with him. No one else is supposed to have that relationship with him. I, the fir- I will never forget the, the first time uh, that I saw Kendra have a, this type of relationship with her father. Uh, both of them are very dry uh, they enjoy uh, poking at, at each other with dry zingers, if you will, many things like that. And and I was I was thinking, you know, the uh, her father is losing his hair, and so she'll say something about being bald. 
Um, he honestly, honestly, you you won't believe this, uh, but he probably sings worse than I do. Which so there's one person in this world that sings worse than I do, and so she'll submit comments about his singing, and uh, in such a way, I w- I was thinking to myself, if I ever talk to my dad that way, I'd be picking my teeth up off the floor. But that's just the relate. Again, there's nothing wrong with that relationship. That's the relationship that they have. That's how they coexist with one another. Each relationship is different. The conduct towards our fathers don't follow the same rules. And can I tell you that's spiritually true too? Our, all, all of us that are saved, our conduct to our Father doesn't always follow the same rules. But the right conduct will flow from the relationship. We have this type of conduct because it's how we relate to one another. It's our personalities. Rules emphasize what man does. And because of that, it minimizes what God has done. When we realize the true nature of God's relationship with man, we begin to feel foolish about all the things we thought that mattered. All of these things that each and every one of us, our opinions, our preferences, our the way that we would, the way that we do things, the way that we act with our Father in heaven, when we realize that, that that relationship doesn't start with us, it starts with Him. And He tells us through the leading of the Holy Spirit, through the reading of the Scripture, how we're supposed to have right conduct with Him. See, it doesn't start with us, it doesn't start with the right conduct. It starts with the right relationship. And because of the right relationship, the conduct comes. I remember Christian school, it was relatively small, and so they let the 7th and 8th graders play with high schoolers in sports. And the way that the, 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 the classes were set up, there was three distinct, there was... First through fourth grade, fifth through eighth grade, and ninth through twelfth grade is kind of how the classes were broken up. And so, because the seventh and eighth graders got to when it was basketball practice, soccer practice, those things, uh, the fifth and sixth graders basically had free time. Well, they just let us at least practice with them. And uh, to this day, I'm not exactly sure why, but but for some reason, uh, there was a lot of people that couldn't play for our basketball team. And so because we, we knew the plays, the coach was like, well, you guys can at least sit on the bench and so we have a full team and don't have to forfeit. Well, through the process of this team being much better than we were, it got to the point where a lot of our players started following out. By the time halftime hit, uh, we were down by almost 50 points. Several of our players were, were followed out, fouled out. So the coach was like, okay, you guys, you, 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 you get to go in. And I specifically remember it was me, uh, Michael Simcox, and David Tapler were the three 
fifth graders that got to go in. And we were determined that this was our shot. You know what? We did pretty good. Between the three of us, we scored 44 points. And we came really close. I think, I think we only lost by, it was less than 10 points. I mean, we, we staged the greatest comeback of Faith Baptist Academy's history. And we were pretty proud of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, after all, we're a bunch of, of puny, sniveling fifth graders going up against a bunch of eighth graders. And if you know, I mean, physics, okay, physically speaking, that, that's an accomplishment. We, we got into the locker room after the game. We were feeling pretty good about ourselves. That didn't last very long. Coach was ticked. Because in that second half, those two players that hadn't followed, followed out, that actually were good enough to start the game because they were better than us, they didn't have one point. They hardly contributed at all. And it wasn't their fault. It was the fact that we, we were, honestly, we were ball hogs. We, we were playing three-on-five basketball. And the coach was like, if you, were, if you had opened up your minds and had the proper relationship with those other players, not thinking that they were your enemy because they were older or better or more accomplished than you, if you weren't so selfish, you might have actually won. And not just put on a good show. But see, that's an important lesson. We as humans, we are so bent on proving ourselves. And and, and every aspect of life. We've got to be the best worker. We've got to be the best student. We've got to be the best husband and the best parent, the best this and the best this. And it gets to the point where we think we have to be the best Christian. But can I tell you that while God expects you to be the best Christian, he expects you to be the best Christian that you can be. Doesn't expect you to be this arbitrary. What makes a good Christian? Because again, all the way back, what's the difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who isn't a Christian? The only difference is one has put their faith and trust in Jesus, and one hasn't. But because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have a different relationship with God. Because you have that relationship with God. That's where this whole idea of, well, you know, we need to look like a Christian and act like a Christian. And, and I'm not opposed to any of those things. But we have to realize that look and acting like a Christian is different for each and every one of us. Obviously, there are things that are, are the same. But it's not all going to look the same all the time in everything. See, faith makes us as right with God as you'll ever be. You don't have to prove yourself. Listen, you don't have to prove yourself to God. And humanity and rules and regulations and all of those things. The law can't save you. So you don't have to prove yourself to the law either. All the rest. All of the things that we think, after, after we come to the realization you are as right with God as you'll ever get, all of the rest of the blessings 
and curses that God adds to our life have nothing to do with the relationship. Because what does it say? The Bible says that the, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's just principles. Again, you, you've heard me say it, but multi-billionaires of Fortune 500 companies, they've followed financial biblical principles in the Bible. And that's why they are where they are in their life. As, and they don't have a... Well, they, I'm not saying... If they're not saved, they don't have a right relationship with God. But obviously God has blessed them. Just like someone who's saved and, and doesn't act the way that God wants them to act, God says there's going to be curses on their life. But again, it's what God says. It's not what you and I say. It's not what other people say. It's not what they think. Because every relationship is different. Legalism is spiritual cliques. I want you to think about that for a second. When we, we go to, obviously bigger churches, it's, it's easier, but we all have a tendency to only hang out with people we like. I mean, it's the same, you know, uh, birds of a, flock, a feather flock together. But why, why do you hang out with those people? Because they're the most like you. They're the closest thing to the way that you think that you should act. Because that's the relationship that you have with God. And again, if, if that's the relationship that they're supposed to have with God, that's fine. But so many times, I think, especially new Christians and the world, the unsaved, they look at us and they think, well, I don't know that I'm supposed to act that way. But if I don't act that way, I don't feel like a good Christian. People don't make me feel like a good Christian if I don't do, if I don't cross my T's and dot my I's the way that they do. <laughs> the other day, this just popped into my head the other day. Uh, Clayton did really good in school. He had, he had to write a paragraph, and it was probably as good a handwriting as mine, to be honest with you. Most of you know that. I'll have a good handwriting. <laughs> but I, I, I noticed something, and to this day, I don't know how. And I don't even think that, that it was taught to him. But the letter A, when my dad writes the letter A, sometime I'll have to show it to you. It looks funky. It looks really weird. Physically, I don't know how he can write the letter A that way. I, just, I don't know. My hand doesn't do that motion. Clayton's A looks very similar to that. And I'm thinking to myself, it, it skipped a generation. As, hey, as long as it's legible, it doesn't matter what it looks like. As long as people know that's a letter A. At the end of it, at the end of chapter number three, we see that it says there's no rich, there's no poor, there's no bond, there's no free. There's nothing that we as human beings would use to estimate equality. Value. God says it's gone. It doesn't exist. God uses faith alone to judge us. In 1850, there's a gentleman by the name of Charles Blondin. You may have heard of him. He was, the, to my knowledge, he was the first one to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. 
He did this several times. On one of his trips, he carried his manager on his back. And can you imagine what would happen if his manager actually said this? He's like, okay, Mr. Blondin, they're on the middle of this tightrope. Okay, Mr. Blondin, I appreciate you getting me this far, but I've been your manager for a long time, and I think I've got it figured out. You can put me down. I'll take it the rest of the way from here. We would classify that as psychotic, crazy, stupid even. But how many times in our spiritual life, we're saved, God. We've been saved for a long time. I've got the rules and regulations and checklists. I got it down. I'll take it from here. And you're out there over the top of the spiritual Niagara Falls on tightrope. That's the situation that Paul is addressing here in chapter number three. Now that we're saved, look at verse number three. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? That's what Paul is addressing here. Each and every, each and every one of us, we, 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 I would think so, we're constantly trying to be a better person. Both, I mean, a, a, a better cook, a better driver. I mean, in every aspect of our lives, hopefully we're trying to always become a better person. So we're always asking ourselves, okay, what's next? What's next? How do we move forward? Now that we're justified, we're saved, we're a right standing before God, how do we become sanctified? How do we become usable for God? And this is the problem. We become concerned when we don't see the level or speed of growth that we expect both in ourselves and in others. Many times we, we can be our own worst critics. Why, why do I still do that? I've got to add another rule. I've got to add another regulation. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Well, that person has been saved a long time. I wonder why they still do that. I mean, after all, when I was saved for not nearly as long as they were, I was long past that. When we were up at the men's conference, the uh, speaker was talking about he was saved, and it took him a long time to give up smoking. And it frustrated him because he would you know, hear all these stories about, you know, I got saved, and, and uh, instantaneously the desire to smoke was gone. Well, each and every one of us have a different relationship with God. It's not all going to look the same. Each and every one of us are at a different level, at a different place in our spiritual growth. Can I, here's, here's something shocking for you. Do you realize that you, and at some level, in some area of your life, you're more spiritual than I am? I'm just being honest with you. At some level in my life, I'm more spiritual than the vast majority of other people. But it's not a competition. Because it's a relationship with Him. And God teaches us different things at different speeds and in different areas of our life. We're saved by faith. 
But so many times we think it's, but it's up to us to grow. Our power. I'll, I'll take it from here. I'm out on the middle of that tightrope, but I've got it from here. There's some things that we need to remember. The entire Christian life is based on faith and not performance. The Christian life is based on faith and not performance. We say that. I mean, it's, it's in our doctrinal statement. We say we believe it. But I think practical application, we forget it. How many times, my, myself included, we, we judge people and we use our, our, ourself as a measuring stick. Well, when I, when I was saved for a couple of years, I already had that figured out. We're, we're, we're not the measuring stick. We're not the ruler. Well, I, I must be a little more holy, a little more closer to God because I've got that area down. I've got that figured out. While this is probably unintentional and a lot subconscious, if you will, but again, how many young Christians, they see this and they think, okay, so this is the way that a Christian is supposed to act. This is the way that a Christian is supposed to be. And one of two things happen. And I think we're seeing it today. They become prideful and unwilling to see what the scripture says. That my church, my pastor, what I had been taught was right. And they're unwilling to change even if God says so. Or they just simply get tired of it all and they leave church. The Bible says that the, we saw it here, the just shall live by faith. The Christian life is faith, not performance. But here in verse number one, Paul says, essentially, who hath bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell? Who's brainwashed you? Because this is the only logical explanation. Again, think about it for a second. And he really, really starts to hammer this home. You, you start in faith, but you continue in works. That doesn't, I mean, forget spiritual for a second. Practically, how in the world can you think that way? And so Paul is saying, it's like someone has put a spell under you. Because logically, that doesn't make any sense. It's the only possible explanation that makes sense. Our relationship with God has been boiled down to a boss view. We view God as, a, as our boss. A lot of times when, when my phone rings, depending on who it is, is Brother Madre or I think, I think I do it with Brother Cole, I do it with friends of mine. I'll, I'll, I'll always answer it, yes, boss. I just, I, I try and be funny, I know. But a lot of times, that's what, that's what we do with God. It's 
We view it as, as a boss. And Paul's trying to correct that. Because here, at the end of chapter number three, we, we, we start seeing, what, what does he say? You're no longer slaves. I'm no longer your boss. You're my son. There's a, there's a vast different relationship between an employer and employee and a father and a son. Let me ask you a question. Why does God love us? All throughout the Bible. For God so loved the world. The very next statement is a, that he gave. But again, I just made the statement. There's people out there that are more spiritual than me. So maybe you have an answer that I haven't seen yet. But why does God love us? You know what? I haven't found an answer for that yet as to the reason that God loves us. He just does. Why do you love your kids? Well, you know, my, while my kids might be brats, and in all reality, they're pretty good. I don't know that. So I, I, I love them because they do what I, I tell them to do. I don't, I don't know that a parent there might be, but I can't think a parent would actually say that. Well, they do nice things for me, really. How do they? I mean, they don't have a job. They don't have money. They really can't buy anything for you yet, especially when they're little. Why do you love your kids? You just do. He simply wants to love us. We, we, we all hear it, in, especially in marriage counseling. You know, when marriages start going a little sideways. And listen, we all get there in places in our life, but... What do we remember? Love is a choice. I don't love my spouse anymore. You got to choose to love them. Why? Because love is a choice. God chooses to love us. I don't know why he chooses to love me. It makes no logical sense, but he does. Verses number two and five, two through five. He asked them several questions about their experience. Did you receive this because of the law or did you receive it through faith? These miracles that happened, did they happen because of the law or did they happen because of faith? Because he's trying to get a point because all they had was faith. Before these Judaizers showed up and started telling them that they had to be circumcised and they could only eat certain meats and so on and so forth, all they had was faith. And so Paul is using this as an example. And then he goes on even further. How did Jesus come into your life? By works of the law or by hearing faith? He knows the answer. He knows they know the answer. So in verse number three, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Are you so foolish that you started one way and now you turn your back and try it your own way? When I read that in, in, in study, I instantly thought of this. What's the definition of repentance? Simple definition of repentance. To change one's mind or to change 
direction. So you, you get saved. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's almost like you're repenting of putting your faith and trust in Jesus by going back and trying to do it by works. Obviously, we don't believe in losing one's salvation, but that's... Spiritually, you can't lose one's salvation, but practically, that's what's going on. You're acting like you lost your salvation. I, I tried faith, and it doesn't work, so let me go back. Paul says it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's foolish to think that we can do what only the Spirit can do. Okay, God, you've taught me enough. I've learned enough. I can get it now on myself. The commandment to be filled with the Spirit. The only part that we have is to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we work up. It's not something that we conjure. It's nothing. All, all we simply do is say, okay, God, I'm, I'm empty. You have to come and fill me up. We have this idea that the man of God, God has better access than a regular person does. That they have some special inroad. You know, I've got God's cell phone number and you've got his landline. That's, that's not how it works. We talked about it last week that if we're not careful, that, but that's what this law-driven religion gets to is if, if you follow it down the path long enough that there has to be a man that can get you access to God. And, I, and I'm, really, I'm really not trying to pick out on any other religion, but, but think about it. Just think about it for a second. Pick one. Pick them all. I dare say even a lot of independent fundamental Baptists think this way. That there's... Pick a big name preacher. They must have better access to God than I do because look at their life. So we put men up on a pedestal that they're never supposed to be. Last, last year we looked at, at, at our series on legendary figures of the Bible. I mean, there was murderers and adulterers and, I mean, tricksters. And, I mean, the, I mean David... The greatest king Israel ever had was a murderer and adulterer. We can't put people up on a pedestal. A lot of false teaching is given credit to the Spirit. Probably one of the most annoying, I mean, it's an annoyance to me. Because, in my, again, this is my opinion. It's overused a lot. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit hasn't given me peace. Holy Spirit this and Holy Spirit that. How do you argue with that? I mean, logically. I mean, you're expecting the person that, you know, they're walking with God. And it goes against something that you want them to do. Well, the Holy Spirit... Now, obviously, you know, the Holy Spirit tells me, and there are some things that, okay, that 
the Holy Spirit is never going to, going to go against the Word. So there are some things if you walk up to me and say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be like, well, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a different spirit. But that's kind of an annoyance to me. But can I tell you, there's a lot of things that is accredited to the Holy Spirit that shouldn't be, that it's really not him. It's like I said, it's a different spirit. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, the Holy Spirit's not teaching it. Again, I was, I was talking to JJ this week on, on Friday and as much as I would love people, everybody to agree with me on everything, because I'm right. Listen, this, this, this is the thing. You, you had better be convinced in your own mind, following the Holy Spirit, following the Scripture, you better be convinced that you're right. But you need to realize that you might be wrong. Listen, I, I, I think I'm right. If, if, I didn't, if you didn't think you were, you were right, you wouldn't do it. I hope at least. As much as I want people to come to the realization that I'm right, that's not what I want. I just want people to understand. Just understand. And that the understanding is that we don't all have to be the same. We don't all have to look the same. We don't all have to act the same. There are different things that we're not a bunch of robots. I've, I've, I've been there in my life. I, I thought this. I thought this. I thought this. I was taught this. I was taught this. I was taught this. But is it in here? Again, there, 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 there are principles. Listen, I, you, I, I don't watch a lot of news. Obviously, it, we're so surrounded by it, especially with the ease that we can get it on our cell phones and all of this. But I don't purposely, I don't watch the 11 o'clock news. I don't read newspapers. Obviously, I have alerts that pop up on my phone and, and iPad and computer, that, that big drastic things, because I don't think that you're supposed to have a head in the sand. But there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the news. Now, for me, because of everything that happens in my personality, I can get very irritated and ticked when things happen. And, it, and it, if I'm not careful and I don't watch it, it's going to lead to anger. And that is sin. And so because of that, I have chosen to limit how much news I see. But there's nothing wrong with news. And so I can stand up there behind the pulpit and say, bless God, you shouldn't. No, that, that's, that's for me. And there are lots of things in each individual person's life that for them, they, they can't handle it. And if we're not careful, we start putting that in other people. But where is that in the Bible? And then we get to the point, well, well now I'm confused because I've been taught this 
by someone who is well-meaning and who loves God and is a wonderful person. And in their life, they couldn't handle it. And so it came across, whether intentionally or not intentionally, that you shouldn't do it either. And I look at the Bible, and it's, it's not in there. And so I'm confused between what I was told the Bible says and what the Bible says. Remember, God's not the author of confusion. If we're confused between what you were taught about the Bible, what we were taught the Bible says, and what the Bible says, it should be quite simple and evident what we should do. And this is myself included. It can't be that simple. If we're confused about what the Bible says and what the Bible says, it should be so evident. You follow the Bible. <laughs> I'm gonna, people are, are going to get mad at me because they're, they're not going to understand. Just simply understand. You don't have to agree. But just understand my relationship and your relationship aren't all going to look the same. And there are things in my life that I have to limit, just like there's things in your life that you're going to have to limit. The Bible says, "What lay aside every sin and wait. Listen, <laughs> we, we all understand what, what the sins are. Thou shalt not, you know. But there are things in our life that limit our relationship with Him that we can't do. Don't, don't judge someone who does the, do those things because it may not limit their relationship with God. Faith comes by hearing. We weren't saved by doing. We don't grow by doing. And by the way, hearing is more than just, by the word of God, is more than just Sunday. So you've, you've heard it before. If the only time you, if you only physically ate once a week, you could live. You could survive. I think they say you can go about a month without food. So, I mean, you could physically stay alive, but you wouldn't have a very healthy life. You wouldn't look very healthy. You wouldn't feel very healthy. You, you wouldn't have a lot of energy. Why don't we... In our everyday life, when the opportunity comes, why don't we expel the energy that it takes to reach in our purse, reach in our pocket, pull out one of the Bible tracks, invitation to Easter, and say, here, give it, and you give it to somebody. Can I tell you why? Because you're only eating once a week. You, you don't have the energy to do it. You're just barely surviving. Listen, that's, that's why I, 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 hand, I hand out papers. And I've run across an interesting article. I give it to you. Is everything in there? Do I agree with no? Take them home. Look them over. Listen, I realize that we, we come to church and, and we come to hear the word of God and, and I'm the voice of the word of God, but you shouldn't come here to hear me. You should come here to hear him. 
And listen, you can hear Him every single day. As you read the Scriptures yourself. Why? Because, like I said, I am, I am convinced that I'm right. But I understand that I, there's a possibility I could be wrong. And as we read the Scriptures, as somebody challenges us, listen, listen if we're seriously doing what the Bible tells us to do, we shouldn't be afraid of people challenging us on, on things. Because if it's in there, we can prove it. And if it's not in there and we can't prove it, then we simply have to make one of two conclusions and say, listen, this is a principle that I see in the Bible to help me have a better relationship with Him. Or you know what? You're right. I shouldn't be doing it. Remember, the title of the series is No Other Gospel. Are we adding things to the gospel unintentionally? How can we be mature and go back to the flesh? Our thoughts, our opinions. The flesh is part of you that desires things your own way. Listen, how... The flesh is the part of humanity that desires things the way that they want them. And but so many times we equate the flesh with sin. I want to root for the University of Michigan. That's what I want. It's not a sin. I want this. I want that. I want. I want the worship service to look this way. Why? Because it's the way it's always been done. It's the way that I'm comfortable. If we're not careful. That's, that's the flesh. And if we let the flesh control us, then it becomes sin. I'm, I'm comfortable with this. Listen, there's, there's people, they've, they've come to church, good people, probably saved people, well-meaning people. Well, you know, preacher, I wish you'd preach on this topic a little bit more. Listen, that's the flesh controlling you in a spiritual way. Well, I wish we'd sing this song more. That's the flesh controlling you. Now, again, there, there might not be anything wrong with it, but when your desires are stronger than what the Bible says, and stronger than the leading of the Holy Spirit, and when you look at it and say, the Bible says and the Holy Spirit says that we do it this way or we can do it this way, but I don't want to do it this way. And if pastor does it this way, then I don't like it. And I'm going to, you're going to what? Not participate? Quit coming to church? That's the flesh. Worship. It's not about what I want. Listen, we, we come to church. We gather together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's a Bible command. But listen to me. Biblical worship is about what he desires and about what he deserves. It's nothing about it. 
And trust me, there's a lot of things on both sides of the pendulum that gets labeled worship. That is not what he desires. And is not what he deserves. God promises to change us from the inside out. Begin in faith, grow in works. How many of you heard this? God helps those who help themselves. That's probably the biggest heretical statement of modern times. You want to know why God helps you? God helps us because we're helpless. God helps us because we're all helpless. We couldn't help ourselves. If we could help ourselves, Jesus would have never had to die. See, but we we live our lives as we're going to give it everything we've got. And then when we run out, that's when we let God jump in. But the truth of the matter is you just let God take control of it from the beginning. God, you're, you're in control. I'll do everything that you tell me to do, but you're in control. Faith makes room for the Spirit to work. Try harder fails when we run out. Have you been there? Oh, foolish, to start in the Spirit and go to the flesh. You have, we have to realize something. We have to come to this realization. To say, God, I can't. Listen, listen. I think we should be faithful to church. I think we should be faithful to read our Bible. I think we should be faithful in praying. I think we should be faithful in being the witness that God commands us to be. But can I tell you something? It is not to be more spiritual. simply to be healthy. The successful Christian life is not about how far we've progressed. But it's about what we're relying on to get there. I've been there. Trust me. The vast majority of my life large part of my life, with this mentality. While it's not perfect, I understand I'm not perfect. I understand I'm not going to be perfect until I get to heaven. But I have a pretty decent grasp on it. So God, let's move on to the next thing. God, I want to move on to the next thing. God, I want to move on to the next thing. Right? Because I'm a goal-oriented person. I try and get things done. Sometimes that drives my wife nuts. Let's just move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. As we climb the spiritual ladder, the fruits of the Spirit, they're coming up here shortly. Can I be honest with you? Each and every one of us, some of the fruits of the Spirit we struggle with a little bit. Some of us struggle with more than others. Some of them I probably don't convey the best. 
I know that. The Bible makes this statement when, and, and I'm going to use an illustration, makes a statement that the wife is supposed to be the help me, that she's supposed to fill in the deficiencies. And so I asked Kendra, I was like, listen, I realize that I don't convey all of, this is early in our marriage, I don't convey all of the spiritual fruits the best. Help me. You know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. It's not her job. Well, it is her job to fill in my deficiencies and be the helpmate. It's not her job to help me with the spiritual fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. But here's the amazing thing. Are you ready for this? It's not my job either. It's not my job to do them. It's my job to allow the Holy Spirit to do them. It's not my job to do them either. I'm just supposed to allow God to do his job. See, there's, I know it goes against everything that we've been taught, naturally speaking. Begin all the way back, Genesis. Sin came into the world. It messed everything up. Messed up our thinking. We have to be very careful that our worldly thinking doesn't, isn't applied to spiritual principles. Old ways are passed away. All things are become new. Listen, we, we had all better be growing. If we're not growing, you're what? You're dying. But it's not about how far we've gotten because none of us have arrived. We won't arrive till we get to heaven. It's about how have you gotten to the place where you're at in your life? Have you gotten to that place because it's the way that you think and the way that you were taught? Or was it because it's what the Bible says? Our thoughts or our preferences, or was it simply God? This doesn't mean that we're not passive. It takes effort. But can I tell you, grace-driven effort is far more effective than law-driven effort. Can I just be honest with you? There are some days where it just takes a little bit more effort for me to love my life. Can I be honest with you? Just about every day takes a lot. One more effort for her to love me. But because we love each other, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like effort. We're commanded to love our enemies. You can't love your enemies. You can't do it. I can't do it. So the only way that it can be accomplished is for God to love our enemies through us. You said, I, I can prove to you that you can't love your enemies. You can't even love me without God. And I'm not your enemy. I hope, at least I hope I'm not your enemy. You, you can't even love your spouse all the time without God. He's the only one that could ever do it. So let Christ love your enemies through you. See, while the command to love your enemies is still there, the responsibility isn't on us, it's on Him. God, I can't do it. 
these people wandering around with hazmat suits and 